Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Matthew tonight, chapter 24. If you want to grab your Bible and follow along with us, I hope that you're prepared to do that. I'm going to share tonight a message with you that I'm calling Kingdom When Part 2 normal is coming. And now I know that we've been kind of cruising through Matthew and I have to be honest with you that if, uh, if it wasn't for the current state of things, I probably would breeze through Matthew chapters 24 and 25 a little bit faster than I'm going to, but it's very interesting. It's very enlightening in light of the times that we're in. There's also been a lot of good feedback and a lot of good questions that have come uh, concerning these days and what the Bible has to say about them. And so we're going a little bit slower as we go through this. And I think that God is, is going to use it for you and he's using it for us as a church and for his church at large. And so I'm excited to be in this passage of scripture with you. We're going to read chapter 24 verses 1 through 13. And just to bring you up to speed with the context of the passage, in chapter 23, Jesus has officially finished what we would call his public ministry. So the very last things that he has to say to a general audience, they were not friendly things. They were uh, heavy things that he spoke to the religious establishment of the day. And following that interchange or that sermon that Jesus gave to those Pharisees and religious rulers, the disciples now take Jesus for a walk outside of the temple. And that's really where we pick it up. And things are finally starting to sink in for them as they're realizing that Jesus is not at this time going to be setting up the kingdom that he's been proclaiming. So let's see what Jesus says here. It says in verse one, it says that Jesus went out and he departed from the temple And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, that's diseases, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Would you all please pray with me? Father, we 
come to you tonight, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have left nothing unspoken that needs to be known. And that it's by your spirit you bring things to remembrance, that you fill in the blanks and the details, and that you reveal to us in real time the things that you spoke before. And so we ask tonight, Lord, as we look at this most interesting and applicable section of Scripture that draws our attention and makes us very curious, Lord, what you said, we pray that you would give us the presence, person, and insight of your Holy Spirit, that we might have wisdom in interpreting and applying these things, that we might both know where we are and that we might know how to live. So we pray, Lord, that you would please enter into this time. I pray for everyone hearing my voice right now, whether it be live or in the future. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would just settle upon us and that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that the one thing that I am hearing uh, more often in every conversation, whether it's conversations that I'm having with other people or conversations I'm overhearing in lines at supermarkets or other places or even just amongst the church people that I'm around, all that we're hearing these days is I can't wait for things to get back to, guess what? Normal. That's right. I can't wait for things to just get back to normal. And believe me, I miss normal. I miss sports on TV. I miss watching my kids play sports. I miss lines in, in, in shopping and being able to go shop where I want to shop. I miss school and work for my kids and for people and buses outside. I miss Amazon Prime, two-day shipping. I miss going to the gym. I miss being able to just go and get my hair cut. There's so many things that I just can't wait to do. I want to get back to normal. I even heard one person say that they miss hearing about Russian collusion, that they're sick and tired of turning on the news and just hearing constantly about this virus. But I think that when we say that we miss normal, what we're really saying is that we miss what's familiar. Because there's a comfort in familiarity. Normal or familiar is comfortable to us. The problem with it is that sometimes what we call normal... Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's not dysfunctional. And there is some dysfunction that can exist within what we would call normal. Now, I have to confess that we in, in the northeast portion of the United States, we, we do have it pretty good. We have a very good lifestyle compared with the rest of the world. And so what we would call normal for us, we kind of like it for the most part. But normal isn't perfect. And normal really isn't normal. There's problems with normal. One of the problems is that even though things are normal or familiar, they aren't perfect. We know that because how many of us can now remember the things that we were complaining about just a couple of months ago before all of this came in? We were complaining we could go to the gym, but we were complaining that it was too crowded, right? And we, we, we were busy and we could take our kids places but we were complaining that we were always busy and that we didn't have any margins normal is comfortable but normal isn't perfect normal also isn't stable if you if you've been alive for the past few weeks you understand that normal what we call normal can change in just one moment how quickly did normal vaporize when all of this started normal also isn't even real 
Because our definition of normal is predicated really on unsustainable models that exist within a society, unjust policies, and really systemic vulnerabilities. And we realize that that normal isn't even real. It's not even a real thing. I want to define normal for you. This is according to Webster's Dictionary. Webster defines normal as conforming to a regular pattern, a form or state regarded as the norm. And I want to tell you something that you probably already know, but maybe you haven't put it together, is that there really is no such thing as normal on earth. Normal doesn't exist because we live in a world that is always moving. It's always changing. And this earth, from the time that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, has never known anything that's called normal. It's always moving. But there's good news. And that's this, is that normal actually does exist. It just doesn't exist here. There is a normal in the kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming. And the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into, that kingdom has normal. Because normal is defined as the pattern or the form of things continually. And his kingdom pre-existed the chaos of earth. And it will endure eternally beyond the chaos of earth. And the conditions of his kingdom will never change. So normal does exist. It just doesn't exist on earth. Normal exists in the kingdom of God. So what does normal really look like? When we talk about normal, craving normal, what is real normal where normal really exists? Let me explain to you. And I'm going to read a little bit here. You'll see me looking down. I didn't steal this. I wrote it. But I don't want to try to remember it all because I want to get it all in there and I want to go through it quickly. But here's what normal is in the kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom. Normal is the general abundance and plenty in all things that are necessary. In his kingdom, normal is no threat of not having something or of ever losing something that you have. Normal is constant and an unchanging sense of a perfect sense of well-being. It's physical health and wellness that doesn't diminish. It's perfect bodies that are incapable of disease, dysfunction, breakdown, disability, infirmity, or weakness. Normal is a consistent emotional calm, a sense of inner wholeness, the total and absolute absence of guilt, guile, or ever feeling like you're not enough. It's perfect mental clarity. It's fast, perfect, and complete minds. It's a perfect alignment between the subconscious, that's the thought life, the inner life, and the conscious, the outward life. There's perfection between the inner and the outer. Normal is an unmovable and total sense of contentment. It's perfect satisfaction with no thought or feeling that there could ever be a lack of something. It's never being without skill that you need, an answer that you need, understanding that you need, or an ability that you need. Normal is the impossibility of having an addiction, a dependence, or any kind of abuse to the body. It will never enter your mind when normal comes that you could wish that you had what you see in someone else. Normal is the complete absence of envy because you always have everything that you want and everything that you need. Normal is relational perfection. 
It means that there's no rift, no divide, no conditions, no compromise, and no annoyance with the people that are around you. There's no betrayal, no suspicion, no lack of trust or a need for it, never walking on eggshells. There's no reason for or fear of being judged, classified, labeled, misunderstood, abused, used, accused, or cut off. It's perfect safety and openness in knowing and in being known. It means no separation, no detachment, no resentment. Listen to this. It means that you actually like being with the people that you're around and that you really hold the value that paradise isn't paradise without other people around. It also means that your relationship with God is unbroken. It's perfectly stable and consistent. There's never ever a sense that you're detached, separated, or distant, or unable to hear his voice or experience his presence for any reason at all. Normal is situational bliss. It's always doing what you want to be doing. It's doing what you were made for all the time. Never having a moment in your existence where you need to guess if you're doing what you were made to do or being in a place where you find out that you don't actually like what you chose and you want to go back and start over because you realize you were wrong. Can't happen. It means that you live and work without interruption, at least the unwelcome kind of interruption. Normal is the non-existence, listen, of anything unknown. It's transparency and knowledge on an infinite level. That means that there's an absence, a total absence of fear, of worry, of anxiety, or hopelessness. Because you cannot have those things if there's no potential to lose something or to experience something that you were not expecting. It can't happen in normal. Normal means that there's a perfect harmony in the environment. There's no clash of systems whatsoever. That means that the weather is always perfect in normal because that's what weather is. It's a clashing of conflicting systems. It means change. There'll be no dominant structure, whether in the animal kingdom or in man's kingdom. No predator versus prey. It's harmony. And most of all, normal means perfect, uninterrupted continuum. That means in normal, you do not have the possibility or the threat that normal can change. Nothing can undo, disturb, interrupt, or change it. You can't have death. You can't have loss. You can't have theft. There's no catalyst, no corruption, no conspiracy, no agenda. In normal, there is no toxin, no pathogen, no policy that can disrupt or threaten what is normal. When things are normal, there cannot be a new normal or a reimagined normal. Those are words that we're hearing now. New normal, reimagined normal. You can't have those things because if there's change, then normal wasn't normal to begin with. And what God says is that he is the Lord and that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if any of those things that describe what normal is could change, then you cannot call it normal. Because if one of those things changed or wasn't true, then it couldn't be normal because when something happened and it broke down, everything else would change with it. So you wouldn't have normal without it. Now, no one on earth has ever experienced true normal because normal doesn't exist here. But 
in the uninterrupted condition of his kingdom, there is nothing but normal. And that's, it's called normal because in the kingdom, that's the regular pattern. Now, here's the point that I'm making in all of this by way of long introduction is that the way things were before everything changed in our world a few weeks ago, that was not normal. And certainly, the way things are right now, this is not normal. And whatever the world looks like when we get on the other side of what we're going through right now, that's not going to be normal either. None of it is normal. Now, we can't go back to normal. But we can look forward to normal, but probably a little bit more forward than most of us think or are hoping for. Now, here's the reason why this is important and why I bring this up tonight. is because in order for us to get from where we are right now to the normal of the kingdom that we're being called into and that we're destined to one day inhabit, we have to travel from here to there. Which means that we live right now in a situation that will never be normal until we arrive in the place where normal really is. And what Jesus is doing is that he is pronouncing and inviting us into what is the eternal normal. Now the disciples asked a question that I know all of you are asking right now. And that is, when, Lord, when will normal come? When is this going to be the conditions that we experience? And Jesus is going to give the answer in these two whole chapters. And they're amazing chapters. Do you realize that this is the second longest sermon that's recorded for us in the Bible? It's only 15 verses shorter than the Sermon on the Mount, which is huge. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters of red letters. So Jesus gives them a lot. But what interests me is what Jesus says first. Because before Jesus answers the question of when these things will be and what is the sign of his coming and of the end of the world, the first thing that Jesus does is he addresses the fact that you have to deal with now. That before you get to then, there are conditions that you're going to have to embrace now. And he's going to lead forward with that. Before he says when, he's going to say what now and what do you need now in order to get you to then. And that's important for us as we look at this moving forward. Now listen to me. When the people of God of old under Moses came out of Egypt... They were called and appointed to move into what was called the promised land. God was going to take them out of slavery and bondage and bring them into freedom and peace. There was going to be a movement from where they were, which was familiar and it was to them normal. And they were going to go to the permanent place that God wanted them to be. And there was a transition that had to happen between the two. Now, some of the people, in fact, many of the people didn't like the journey. They would rather have what was familiar than what was uncertain. When they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were in bondage. They were persecuted. They were oppressed. They were not free to express or become who they were made to be. They were under the thumb of Egypt culture and the Pharaoh consistently and constantly. That's what it was. But there was familiarity. 
And there was certainty in that they knew where their food was going to come from, and they knew what to expect from day to day. Now, when God began to move them from where they were to the place that they were going, they were free from the oppression, but they were living in the uncertainty of not knowing where their next meal was going to come from, how long it was going to take, what was going to happen next, what difficulties they would be met with in the way. And so many of them wanted to go back to a dysfunctional form of normal rather than move forward into what God was calling them into and ultimately preparing them for. Now, what Jesus is saying to us here now, as he is talking to us about a journey from familiar to eternal, is that there is a journey and that where you're going is worth it but it may be uncomfortable along the way and you're going to have to leave where you are to get where you're going. What's coming is normal, but the journey is uncertain. And if you don't know that, then you may lose heart along the way. So what Jesus does in this text, as he begins answering these questions, is that he gives them three, count them, three absolutes about the journey from what we're familiar with, to the kingdom that's coming. Three absolutes. The first one we see in verses 4 and 5, and that one absolute about this present age that we're in right now is the presence of deception. Look again with me at verse 4. First thing Jesus says, He answered and He said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, usually the first thing that someone says when they give an answer to a question is not only one of the most important things, but certainly the most memorable thing. This is where Jesus leads off. And he talks about the prevalence of deception, and he gives to us a warning that we need to take to heart that it is not good to be deceived. Now, here's why this is important. Because what you believe, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about deception. It's persuading you to believe something. You can believe what is true, or you can believe something that's not true. But what you believe is going to determine in your life your behavior, your direction, the way that you move, the the direction you move, your disposition, The amount of joy, worry, fear, anxiety, or peace, and longing, and hope that you have, that's going to be determined by what you believe, and ultimately what you believe is going to determine your destination. That is where you end up. The Bible says, in fact it was Solomon, he said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There is an inseparable tie between what we believe and what we become what we do, where we go, and where we ultimately end up. So if you believe wrong, you're going to do things, go places, feel things, and end up where you don't want to be. And here's what Jesus says. He says that the deception that exists and will be prevalent along the way, while we're in this world, is so dangerous that it will come, listen, even from trusted sources. Notice again what he says in verse 5. He says, For many shall come, watch this, in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, you know, for a long time I read that 
thinking that people are going to come and they're going to say that they actually are the Christ. Now, those people do come, and Jesus is going to talk more about those type of people a little bit later on in the sermon, but that's not who he's talking about here. Who he's talking about here is people that come to you and they profess that Jesus is the Christ. They will, Jesus, Jesus is talking in the first person, and he says that they will say that I am Christ. They will acknowledge me. And what happens when somebody says that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Christ? I know what happens to me. I tend to let my guard down. Oh, this person believes in Jesus. This person is a trusted source. They profess and believe the same things that I believe, and I'll open myself up a little bit more to hear what they have to say. And what Jesus is essentially saying to us concerning our need to be free of deception is that we cannot trust any man with the things that are most important because of the potential for deception. That means that we're not to, we're not to believe in any man as a final authority, not a parent, not a president, not a physician, not an organization, not the CDC, not the WHO, not a pastor or a priest or a prophet. And that's so important, and here's why. Because when you're feeling insecure, when things happen that upset normal in your life, we human beings, we have a tendency to want someone to tell us what to do. We want someone to tell us what's going on. We want someone to tell us what's going to happen next. And because we feel vulnerable and unsure of where we are, we extend trust to people that may not be trustworthy. And Jesus says it is so important that while you're moving through, that you do not trust unreliable sources. So the question is, if that's the case, how can I take heed? Because that's what we're being told to do. He says, take heed that you're not deceived. How do I do that? Who can I trust? I want to share with you a scripture at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And I want you to listen because the Bible is going to tell us who we can trust. Paul says this. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the last day, the day that Jesus is speaking of, shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He's talking about a figure that the Bible calls the Antichrist that we'll talk more about as uh, we get into the future, but not anymore tonight. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, down in verse 9, speaking of this Antichrist, he says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, meaning that he will have powerful, persuasive techniques that will cause us to believe or cause people to believe the things that he's saying. And it says that with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, and here's why, listen, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That they might be saved. The love of the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32. 
31 and 32. It says that then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, the truth is found in the word. It's in the testimony that God has laid out before us. Every God-breathed word is trustworthy and we can build our lives upon the things that God says. But if we don't love the truth and we don't allow the truth to form our faith and form our opinions and our beliefs and our directions and our goings and our values and everything about our lives, then we are setting ourselves up to be deceived by things that we hear other places. Listen, if you look for truth on the internet, listen, not a good idea. It is not called the web for no reason or the net. I mean, it's right there for you to see. I'm not certain that social distancing is 100% necessary, but I can suggest to you that maybe in these days, a little bit of social media distancing wouldn't hurt a few people. The word of God is the place where we get our truth and we have it by root of heart and it is our meditation and it is our food. That is the place where we can defend against deception. Well, Jesus goes on and he says not only the presence of deception, but also an absolute of this age is the pattern of destabilization. Things will be unstable. Notice what he says in verse six. He says that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. He says that It's going to start with wars and rumors of wars, and he prefaces it by making it very clear that these things are going to happen, but don't freak out because this is not the end. This is going to be the present course and order of this age while you're waiting. There's going to be a power struggle among nations. You're going to hear from time to time about famines, that is food shortages, where there's more demand than there is supply. There will be pestilences that are going to happen. Yes, there's going to be diseases and outbreaks and pandemics, sicknesses. These things are going to happen. And he says, finally, that there's going to be earthquakes. Now, we know what earthquakes are literally, and we know that is a fact of geological life and science. But in the Bible, earthquakes speak of the shaking of systems as well. We see that throughout the Bible, that God says that he's going to shake a system and see if it holds up. And it talks about the destabilization of critical systems. I want to read you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Listen to what God says concerning the end times. He says this concerning God, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, God is going to allow for the shaking of the systems, functions, establishments, and really the foundations of everything that this world is 
so that we might know how unstable those things actually are. And he's going to show that if they can be shaken, then they are not worthy of putting our trust in those things. He says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So how do you function in an unstable environment? If destabilization is one of the marks of the age that we're living in, how do we function fruitfully, productively, and hopefully when we don't know what's going to happen or if what we're standing on is going to hold under us? It's very difficult for people of a certain personality, people that don't handle change well. But listen, here's how you do it. You stand on unmovable ground. That means this. That if you're standing or you're placing the well-being of your personal stability on the conditional stability of the nation that you live in, then your stability is only going to be as strong as the stability of your nation. Which means that if your nation falls apart, guess what happens to you? You fall apart. See, if you stand, if you build your foundation upon an economic system or upon an economy or a currency or on a market or on a job or on an income, and that's where you're placing your security or a tiered pension system that you've trusted in, that this is going to be your well-being, and that's where you're putting your confidence, then your confidence is only as strong as the structure that you're standing on. If that structure is shaken, then you're going to shake with it and your personal well-being is going to be affected. If you're standing upon a health status or a healthcare system and that's where you're placing your trust, then your strength and stability is only as strong as the place where you've set your feet. And if that system is shaken, then you're going to be shaken. So if you're leaning on something, then your personal well-being is going to be affected by the strength and stability of the thing that you're standing on. If it moves, you move. If it falls, that's right, you fall. We fall with it. So where can we find unmovable ground in a movable world? The answer is the rock. Listen to what the Bible says. I want to read you Psalm 46, verse 1. I want you to listen to what the psalmist declares concerning our God. He says, God, God, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Think about a mountain. How often would you think a mountain would be shaken? But the psalmist is declaring, I'm not even going to stand on a mountain. I'm going to stand upon God. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And then he says this. He says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen or the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he has made in the earth. 
But he makes wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then he tells us this. Listen, in the middle of a chaotic, unstable world, to the person who will hear and heed and place their feet upon him and him alone, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We can stand upon him. It's solid ground. Psalm 27, verse 5, the psalmist declares, For in the time of trouble he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings or my path. David acknowledges that I had put my feet in an unsure place. I was trusting in things that were not stable and strong to hold me indefinitely. But God picked me up out of that place and he set my feet in a strong place and now he's established my path before me. Psalm chapter 61, verse 2, David again, he says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In other words, even if I try to stand on myself, I'll do it. I I know how to get out of this. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm skilled and educated. He says, lead me to the rock that's even higher than I am. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 17, verse 9. This is, he says, In that day their strong cities, which they left because of the Israelites, will be like places abandoned to thickets and undergrowth, and all will be desolation. You have forgotten God your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. They were trusting in their cities and their economy and their strength, but all of it was shaken and they were lost and desolate. God says it's because you have not remembered your rock. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them, you make them grow, and in the morning when you plant them, you bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. He's saying that you trusted in your investments in things foreign and domestic. You were watching them begin to grow and bud, and you thought those things were your strength. But in the day of the disease and the incurable pain, you found that those things were not strong enough to hold you up in it. You forgot your rock. See, he gives us the rock that is the unmovable ground that we can stand upon. That's where we're to place our feet. We're to stand upon God and upon his word. Now listen, God does not promise stability in this present age. He promises instability, but he does promise protection, provision, leading, help, strength, hope, clarity, vision, and wisdom. And I ask you, is that enough? And have you found anything in this world that can provide those things? I challenge that you cannot. If you stand in the right place while we move from here to what is coming, you will not necessarily have stability, but what you will find is endurance. 
And that's what you need. If you look at verse 13 back in Matthew chapter 24, it was the verse that we, we, left, we, we ended on. Jesus said this. He says that he that endures to the end will be saved. And the key to endurance in an unstable world is to set your feet in a stable place. And God alone is the rock. Because everything can fall around, just like Psalm 46. The mountains can be moved into the sea. The earth can be troubled and removed. The seas can roar. The nations can rage. But there is a city. And there is a river. And if we stand in that, then all things can be falling to the left and to the right. And there's a perfect peace. And he's able to lead us through unscathed when we place our trust in him. The third thing that Jesus says will be an absolute of this age is the prevalence of division. Look with me at verse 9. He says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and they'll kill you, and you'll be hated of all nations for my namesake. And then many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive, and because iniquity shall abound... The love of many will wax cold. Now there is room right here for an entire sermon, especially in the days that we live in as it concerns division. But here's what you need to know. Is that Satan is the grand puppet master and his strategy is to divide. He wants control over everything and everyone on this planet. And when there is a system that is too strong for him to control, his strategy is to divide it into small enough pieces that he can ultimately control it. And he is very good at it. He knows how to make systems polar, to bring people to one side or another, and then to keep subdividing and keep making it smaller and smaller and smaller. He knows how to take systems that are not polarized and hijack them to make them polar. I mean, look what he's done with the Republic of the United States of America. He has divided it so perfectly right down the middle. Almost every election now hinges on 1% or less of the vote. 51% here, 49% here. He has divided things so perfectly right down the middle. And he does it with every issue that he can. And he creates issues that cause people to divide. The issue of climate change. Me even saying that probably ignites something in some of you, maybe many of you, that are on one side of that issue versus the other. One that says, yes, that's a real thing that we need to control the earth or, or fix the earth. The other side, that no, that is a ploy of the government to gain control over every thing that we do. And if we spit and breathe, you know... And there's a debate, there's a divide. He's divided us over that. Everything that is possible, race, class, rank, income, trade, all these things are things that he uses. Just think about how this situation that we're in right now, this COVID-19, think about the level of division that just this one thing alone has brought into human society. Do we take this seriously or do we brush it off as something casually? Is this something that happened naturally? Or is this something that was fabricated in a lab somewhere in, in some nation of the world? Should we keep the economy and the world and our lives open? Or should we keep it 
closed and quarantined off? Should we create and mandate a vaccine? Or is that a ploy for human tracking and a violation of human rights and medical rights? Should we wear personal protection equipment and masks when we're out in public and in our car with the windows up while we're driving in a sealed thing? Or should we trust in herd immunity and not make a big deal of it. I mean, there is so much room for division. And believe it or not, probably 80% of what we're trying as a church to navigate right now is how do we do things in a way where we make everyone here feel safe and disarmed, and yet we still conduct services without having the division that comes through all of these things. Satan is so good at dividing because when he can divide, he can ultimately conquer. Now, what is the solution for the division that is coming and that is here and that will get more intense and that will cause people to betray each other even unto death and imprisonment and torture and death and all these kinds of things. What is the solution and how can we defend against the power of that division affecting our lives? Here's the answer. Is that we must do what only a spirit-filled person can do and that is that we must love unconditionally. Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said that the servant is not above his Lord. If they persecuted me, if they hated me, if they afflicted me, if they crucified me, then they're going to do the same things to you. But what did Jesus do? When those things were happening, he was able to look past the deception that was causing the action, and he was able to love the person in spite of the action, position, or race that they were a part of, and love them in spite of the actions that they were taking. And he calls us to do the same thing. Did you hear what Jesus said would be the reason for the division? He said it would be because the love of many would wax cold. And for you and I, if you're born again, if you have the Spirit of God in you, then you have the power to do something that the rest of the world cannot do, and that is to love people that you don't agree with or that you might not necessarily like in the context of regular life. But by the power of God, the Spirit of God, and really the command of God, you and I, we have the ability to love people that we wouldn't otherwise love. We must purpose within ourselves, that the people that are around us are not their politics or their positions or even their actions in the things that they're doing. They're made in the image of God, they're loved by God, and we're called to love them in the name of the Lord in spite of it. Now, I understand that that is extremely challenging. Because some of the people that I'm hearing talk right now, and some of the things that they're saying, and some of the belief systems that people are working from in the things that they're trying to do, I don't like those things. And it makes it very difficult for me to love those people. There have been political administrations that have come and gone in the course of my lifetime. And I have had a very hard time loving the people that were over and in charge of those political organizations as I can struggle with that now. But here's what I realize. I realize that if I cannot bring myself to love the person in spite of their policy, then I am giving them power over me to take something from me that I value and treasure. 
Now, let me explain. Because there are policies that are hostile towards my family, my freedom, and my children. And I love those things, and I will defend those things unto death. But if I cannot love someone that even is a threat to those things, then what that means is that I am empowering them to be who decides what happens to that freedom or my family or those policies rather than trusting those things into the hand of God. I do not lean upon the laws of the land to be the protector of my rights, my family, or my freedom. I look to the Lord to be those things. So when I look beyond the TV screen or the title on the badge or the honor of the office, whatever it is, I look beyond that and I say, no, Lord, I'm trusting you to preserve me to make a way where there seems to be no way in spite of laws and policies that are made. Then I'm set free to love people that I would otherwise hate. And that is the call and the command. And if I can't do that, I'm giving them too much power. There's another thing that I'm doing if I can't, if I can't love people that aren't just like me. You know what it is? I'm setting myself in a place where it's only a matter of time before the only person I do truly love is myself. Because what you come to realize the older and longer you live and, and the older things get is you realize that there's no one who really agrees with you. There's no one who's just like you. And if that's the criteria of really loving someone, then you'll never love someone. God loved us when we were his enemies. When he was being nailed to the cross, he was actively forgiving the people that were taking his very life. And the Bible says that while we were yet his enemies, it was then that he loved us and he calls us to love the same way. That's something that we need to pray in and ask God to give us a love for all people, whether they're lost or saved, whether they agree or disagree, whether they're like us or not, whether they make sense or not. We're called to love the person in spite of what they are and what they represent. Listen, by way of conclusion, Jesus is telling us that normal is coming. The only normal there will ever be is his kingdom but that normal isn't here yet. And there is a way that you and me, that right now we can know how we're doing. You can take the test. You can get a report card right now and find out how you're doing in the transition of the journey. And here's what it is. The answer is in verse six. What did Jesus say? He says, see that you be not troubled. For these things must be but the end is not yet. He says, see that you be not troubled. And so take the test right now. It's real easy. It's just one question. Are you troubled by the deception, by the destabilization, by the division that marks the age that we live in, the absolutes of this age? Do those things trouble you right now? And if they do, then let it be a mark to you that you might not be standing on good ground, you might not be trusting in his truth in the way that he's called us into, and you may not be allowing the love of God to flow through your life in the way that it needs to in order to hold the endurance that he wants to give us in the days that we're living in. Listen, there is a piece of the normal that is to come when we see him in his kingdom, there is a piece of that normal that he gives to us right now. Do you know what it is? Do you know what that piece is? 
It's peace. It's his peace. Here's what Jesus says. It's John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you these things before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. And then he says, he sums up, it's in the same sermon, it's John sixteen thirty three. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Listen to me. Between right now and the normal that is to come, there is no normal. This age is marked by deception, destabilization, and division. And those are the conditions of the journey. And sometimes it's extremely uncomfortable. But where we place our faith right now, if we choose to believe and live by his word rather than by conventional wisdom or the advice of man or the things that we're hearing as we analyze stories and news, if we place our faith in his word and we fix our stance upon him, upon the rock of his promise, so that our hope is not in what happens on earth, but our hope is in him who keeps us. And if we can allow his love to flow through us, that will determine the size of the peace, the peace of his kingdom that we experience now while we wait. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, now abide, now hold, now maintain these three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. My prayer for you and for us, church, is that we would look past the politics, past the shaking of all the things going on around us, past the memory of what was, past the fear of what is, past the worry of what is things going to look like later, and that we would stand on the stability of what's to come, and that we would place the full weight of our trust in him while we wait for it in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer for i have overcome the world are you looking forward to normal i am it's coming father we thank you tonight for your word we thank you lord jesus that you told us these things ahead of time and we ask you lord that you would take my fast speech the multitude of scriptures that we read and heard tonight and that you'd help us to process it internally as it affects our spirit right now and externally as we move forward relating to this fallen world. We need your help. We know that you'll give it and provide it. So fill us again with your spirit. Refix our focus. Set our feet upon the rock. Take us out of the miry clay if necessary and help us, Lord, to navigate. We need you, Lord. Please be our helper. If you hear me tonight, maybe you're tuning in and you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, and I don't know where you are in relation to all the things that are going on right now. You might just be sitting back in your chair, watching the world fall apart, eating popcorn and enjoying it. But my guess 
is that you're probably listening to me right now because maybe you're a little bit anxious, a little bit worried about the things going on. I want you to know something. Is that Jesus Christ is God Almighty who came into this world in baby's flesh, lived a perfect life just like us, not with perfect conditions, but in, in affliction and obscurity and in poverty. And he lived a perfect life without sin. But then he died a sinner's death on a cross in Jerusalem. And as the nails were being pierced into his hands and his feet, he was absorbing the punishment for the sins of all of humanity, including yours. I know it's hard to hear that you're a sinner, but in the eyes of God, we're all sinners. But Jesus died for your sins. And when he died on the cross, what was released from him at his death was a forgiveness for all sin. And what he calls us to do now is to just receive that as a gift. And if you need to know the peace of God in the middle of what's going on right now, or maybe you're going through something totally other in your life and you just need Jesus, then the invitation to you right now is to receive what's still available while it is. Because it's not too late for you to say yes to God and to receive what he did because he loved you personally. And when you say yes to God, Jesus himself comes into your life, not alongside your life holding your hand, but into your life holding your heart. And he changes things from the inside. He lets you know that he's there and he gives to you a peace that passes understanding. And that's what God wants to do for you now. So if that's you and you want to receive Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to just open up your heart to God. And to say right now these words, say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I invite you to come inside. I want you to be my Lord. I trust in your word. I believe what you did. And I receive your gift of love. Please forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you, to walk with you, to obey your ways. And please bring me into your kingdom. I trust in your resurrection power to be the power of my life. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you please let me know in some way? Put it in the comment section. Put a thing there with a hand that you're saying, yes, I received Christ tonight. Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And it's the best thing that you can do, especially in times like this. God bless you guys. We love you. Please join us in this closing song as we just give thanks to our God as we end our service tonight. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.